This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Genesis chapter 13. And we'll start with verse number one. Genesis 13, verse number one. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot went with Abram, and also flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Pizarites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not this whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all that the, all the land that you see, I will give you to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at the Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word together and consider this story and the life lessons it has for us, would you let it go deep? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us pastors something to study and to learn from, and then you have a word and a message for your people this morning, and I just pray, I pray that it would have an impact. I pray that people would take this deep and that you can even turn a heart this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, amen. So last uh, Sunday watching the 49ers and Lions game, can I admit I was a little torn about the whole thing? Uh, I grew up in Washington, so West Coast, And uh, I grew up a massive fan of the 49ers. 
So that was the era of Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Steve Young. And I mean, listen, the whole West Coast offense thing was like, these were the guys that originated that. And so I was a massive, massive fan of the Niners and have been. Though in the Midwest, it's really hard to catch a Niners game. But when I can, I, I, I try to. And, but, but last week, they were playing the Lions. And Scott is a massive Lions fan. And I love Scott. And Scott, listen, Scott has endured decades of really bad Lions football. Decades of bad football. And this year, finally, they had a, a great, great year. And so there's a part, that was a big part of me that was like, I kind of want the Lions to win. So I was a little bit on the fence that night. Who, who do I want to win? I'm a little bit for the Lions and a little bit for the Niners here. And, you know, that's... That's okay if it's a football game. I can be a little bit for one and a little bit for the other because football games don't matter. Everyone say that real quick. Football games don't matter. All right, praise God for that. But there are some things you can't be a little in and a little out. You can't be a little bit in the army. You either enlist and you're all in the army or you don't. Right? Drill sergeant comes and says, hey, grab your ruck. We're going on a 20-mile march. You can't say, you know what, drill sergeant? I'm not really feeling it today. That's Air Force. But Army is, you can't, you can't do that when you're in the Army. Anyway, so, so you, you, can't be, you, you can't have a little bit of a peanut allergy, right? If you have a peanut allergy, you have a peanut allergy. You're all, you're, you're all there. And this is going to perhaps come as a surprise to hear. But do you know you can't just be a little bit in with the Lord and a little bit out with the Lord? You can't kind of be sort of fired up and sort of not fired up. And these aren't my words, these are Jesus's words. This is from Revelation chapter three. This is the Lord speaking and he says this, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. What that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and either hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'll say it really plainly for our text today. You're either going toward the Lord or you're running from the Lord. And what we have here in this story, I think is a clear Contrast. I think that as Moses was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was intending to show there's a contrast between what Abram is doing and choosing and what Lot is doing and choosing. One is returning to the Lord, right? When we last left Abram, he was under a famine and he was taking matters into his own hands. And instead of just trusting God and the promises he made, he ran to Egypt. And then there he crafted this plan on his own about lying about Sarah and he put her in grave danger and himself for that matter. And all of this was, was sinning against the Lord, running from the Lord. But here in our text, he's coming back. And do you see how it was worded? He went to the place he was at the first where he had built the altar, and there he called on the Lord. This is a story, a beautiful story, of Abram returning to the Lord. But as we see that happening, we also see Lot, and Lot is turning the other direction. One is running toward the Lord, one is running away. 
And so this big idea this morning is, is kind of simple, but it's kind of not. But here's the big idea. Write this down. I want you to say this. I want you to own this in your heart. I will always turn to never from the Lord. I will always turn to and never from the Lord. Let's see it in the text. And uh, let's start, first of all, by looking at a Lot's story. So this is uh, turning away. This is what it looks like to turn away from the Lord. And I want to show this to you. Now, oftentimes it helps to go to the very end to see where it ends up, and then we'll work our way back. I, I would tell my youth group kids this a lot when I was a, a youth pastor. I, I would tell them, if I could show you a, a video of your life playing out, and one version of your life is you're living for you, and you're doing your thing, and you're making choices for you. This is how your life is going to turn out. And you can watch that video, or we can watch the video where you're just turning to Jesus, and you're running after Jesus. And if you can compare this life with this life, there is no question you'd say, I want the life where I'm running after Jesus. Jesus said, I write these things unto you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now, you might make more money down here. You might have more fame down here. But I'm telling you, the better life is one with the Lord. And we see this with, with um, Lot. In fact, take a look at chapter 19 and verse 1. This is where Lot's going to end up. Look at this. Genesis 19, verse 1, two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot, watch this, was sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's all the further I want to read. He's sitting in the gate. Now, to you and I, that might not be that big of a deal, but in Old Testament times and this time, sitting at the gate was a big deal. Sitting at the gate held cultural and social significance. The city gate was prominent, and it was the hub for various activities. It was the hub for judicial activities. Legal matters were settled at the city gate. It was the center of city administration, kind of like a city hall for that day. That was the gate. Defense and security decisions were made at the gate. The gate was the central hub of the leadership of the city. And so now here we have Lot, not only in the city of Sodom, but he was in leadership at Sodom. He was one of the elders at the gate of Sodom. So what's the big deal about that? Well, did you catch in our text as we read through it what this text in, in Genesis 13 again was said about Sodom? We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but this, our text gives hints at that. In verse number 10, when it's talking about Lot lifting up his eyes to the Jordan Valley, that verse ends with this. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 12, it says that Sodom moved his tent, really how it should be worded is, pointed toward Sodom or facing Sodom. And then it reminds us in verse number 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And we'll see that when we get there. There's horrific, grotesque sin happening in Sodom. And then now here's Lot. And he's a leader among this wickedness. In fact, chapter 19 ends with a disgusting story of incest with Lot and his daughters. 
How does it get there? How do you go from favored nephew to wicked leader? Well, we're going to back up and we're going to see it in the text because the text clearly kind of lines out a pathway of how that all happened. So first of all, mark this down. It starts with this. It starts with a selfish perspective. It starts with a selfish perspective. So we got this problem happening, verse number seven, and there was strife. This is back now and again, Genesis 13. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's problems coming up. They both have a lot of stuff. They, the land isn't enough to contain them. So Abram comes up with an answer. I'll unpack that a whole lot more a little bit later. But, but, but we, he gives Lot the choice. Obviously, there's some place where they could stand and they can look out over the choices. So there's, there's this lot of land and there's this lot of land. And one of them was definitely better than another. It had a lot of water. It was very fertile, and, and all of that. So verse number 10 says this, and Lot lifted up his eyes, mark that, mark that, and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. The garden of the Lord led the land of Egypt in direction of Zor. And, and, and then so verse number 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. Do you see how that's worded? He chose for himself. Lot had a very me above all perspective. Where Abraham was like, no, you before me. Lot was like, no, me above all. I'm all about my security. I'm all about my pleasure, my comfort, my significance. And question for you. Are we naturally more giving or naturally more selfish? Let's just test it. I'll go over to the top of the room and uh, I'll bring a toy with me. And I'll be in the top of the room and I'll be playing with this toy and it'll look all fun, it'll be all great. And then what I'll do is I'll set that toy down in the middle and I'll just step back. And then I'll leave. And what do you think is gonna happen? Here, do you, would you like to play with the toy? No, 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 you play with the toy first. Are you kidding me? Mine, no, it's mine. I saw it first and bam and club and then we'll have toddler workers resigning and then Ben will really be mad at me. But all that to say, there is like, this is us. Like the, innately, we are selfish people. No one had to teach a toddler to be selfish. No one has to teach us to think about ourselves, our pleasure, our comfort, our significance. And I really hope you know this. Listen to me, this is really important. We don't float to holiness. And unless we're intentional, we're gonna live for ourselves. You have to, I'm gonna say the word again, intentionally guide your heart to loving God first, loving others first. Others before me, because left to ourselves, we're going to be selfish and we're going to live for ourselves. And listen, if that's the rule of your life, you're going to see some other things following that, like this. We see, first of all, this selfish perspective from Lot. He wanted the land for himself, but also this, a foolish positioning, a foolish positioning. It's interesting how the text, again, words this. We see it in verse number 12. 
Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities in the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. If you want to say that literally from the Hebrew, it would be he pointed his tent towards Sodom. So he's like, I like that over there. I want to think about Sodom. I want to look at Sodom. I want to, and he puts himself not in Sodom yet. He's not there yet, but he's right on the line. He's inching closer. He's inching closer. And then before long, as we saw, not only is he in the city, he's leading the city. Listen, we rarely just up and jump headlong into sin. There's always a, well, as the band Casting Crowns has said, there's a slow fade. There's a step-by-step movement. And all of a sudden, there you are. And you find yourself in the midst of sin. Sometimes the best illustrations are biblical ones. I'm going to have you actually take a look at this in Proverbs chapter 7. Would you turn to Proverbs chapter 7 with me? Love Proverbs chapter 7. Of course, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And in this book, we see clearly a story being told where this is absolutely the case, this slow movement towards something. Being the book of wisdom, it also shows us what foolishness looks like, and this is what it looks like. Proverbs 7, verse number 6. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now watch. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Let us uh, come, she says. Let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He didn't just end up dead one day. No, that happened after his sin. He didn't just sin one day, no. That happened after he was seduced. But before he was ever seduced, did you catch it? All the way back in verse number eight and verse number nine, look, where's he going? He's being a fool. He's positioning himself for foolishness. 
passing along the corner, the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. When? In the twilight, in the evening, at the night, a time of night, at darkness. I'm going over there. And his heart has already turned and his feet then turn. And step by step he goes. And where does it end? It ends in destruction. Church, this is the pathway to every sin. Very few of the times and we just jump headlong into sin. But I'm wondering, do we have the guardrails in place? Do we have the fences? Do we have things that, that keep us from foolishness? Or do we just simply position ourselves to fail? It's like guardrails. How many people like guardrails? You know, and I grew up in Washington State, right? So there were mountains. They're like hills, but a lot bigger. And, and there were times where you'd be driving, and I'll never forget some of these times driving, and, and there's, like, there's, a, like, there's a, literally a cliff right here, but there are guardrails. And you can think, well, guardrails are just kind of irritating. You know, if you bump them, they'll scratch your car. Yeah, they might scratch your car, but if they're not there, you're going over the edge. We have some guardrails in our ministry, like we will say, um, there's, we cannot be alone with uh, some of the opposite sex in a room alone here at the church, that we have that guardrail set up. Um, I, you know, Linnea and I don't text back and forth. We're in a three-way text with Courtney, so Courtney's involved with that. Poor Courtney. <laughs> Her phone's dinging all the time. And you can say, well, that's really inconvenient. Yeah, it's inconvenient. Guardrails can be inconvenient. But man, I'm telling you, there's a cliff to be avoided. So, so I mean, I could go through a list of sins and we can talk about a list of things. I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know what your thing is, but, but come on, don't we do this from time to time? Don't we make decisions that are seemingly innocent knowing full well they're gonna set us up to fail later? Now, all that to say, it starts way back with the heart centered on self. And when we're living for self and we're foolish about our positioning, man, we're just gonna end up over the edge. So what choices do you need to make different even this week? What changes, what guardrails do you need to set up? What things do you need to get rid of? What needs blocked? So, here's the truth. We all have failed. Can I get a witness? Right? You've sinned before? Anyone sinlessly perfect here in the room? Please raise your hand. Good, because we'd have to stone you if you did. <laughs> and we haven't stoned anyone for a very long time, so that's, that's good. But we all have. We all, listen, we all fall to sin. So here's the question. What do you do when you find yourself there? What do you do when you find yourself in the pit? When you find yourself in places you never thought you would go and never wanted to go, but here you are again, and you thought it was going to be different this time, but there you are, and you're back there again. What do you do? Here's what you do. You turn back. So let's talk about that. Lot's story turning away. Well, let's talk about Abram's story 
and turning back to the Lord. What we have here in our text is this beautiful story because, like I said before, when we last left Abram, he had taken matters into his own hands. He turned away from the promises of God and he put himself and his wife, especially his wife, in a very, very difficult spot. But look at what he does. Verse number, back in chapter 13 now, and verse number one. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negrib. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negrib as far as Bethel. Now watch how this is worded. It's very intentional. Uh, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Yeah, he messed up. He messed up, but he's going back. Do you remember this from 12, verse number eight? Look at 12, eight. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He had been here before. He had been here before, but now he comes back. Now he returns. And his story is one of returning to the Lord. And we, we need, church, listen, we need these kinds of stories. We do. Because we grew up listening to the fairy tales. And we all kind of think that the fairy tale is going to happen to us. What I mean by that is one day I'm going to be right with the Lord and I'm going to live happily ever after, never to make a mistake again. Everything's going to be fine and perfect. But the reality is, is we're sometimes like Abram and sometimes we're lots. And sometimes we're choosing well and right, and sometimes we're not. In fact, the, the, the Abram's life is that way. We'll see going on. So here's my point. Repentance and turning back to the Lord is a way of life. And we're going to have to learn what it looks like to repent and turn back to the Lord. It's a way of life. So then, what does that look like? And so here's what it looks like. I'm going to write this down. Return to the place of spiritual health. How do I do this? How do I come back to God? Well, listen, go back, return to the place of spiritual health. He goes back to that altar. He goes back to that spot where he was right with the Lord. And he once again calls out on the name of the Lord. So I'm wondering this morning, what are your altars Can you look back at your spiritual walk and remember the times where you turned to the Lord again? It wasn't so long ago, it was a couple of years ago now actually, that I, uh, I took a walk in Fox Island Park. Do you guys remember Fox Island Park? Has that opened up again, anyone know? Still closed? Yeah, so Fox Island Park is a park here in Fort Wayne and I went out there for a day. I'll do this from time to time uh, every year. I'll go out several times a year and just have a deep dive with God day. So just me and the Lord, a journal and a Bible, and that's it. And uh, just go out and be with the Lord. And I was doing one of those days, and I decided this day to bring a journal. And what I did is I, kind of, I actually mapped out my highs and my lows of my spiritual walk. So at times when I made a good decision, for, you know, the time I came to know Jesus, that was a high. Shortly after that, I kind of turned away from the Lord for a time. And then I remember being at camp and being really convicted about, you know, I'm probably called the ministry. And that was a real, you know, high point again. So I returned to the Lord and that was a high point. And, 
And then the temptations kind of got a hold of me and I kind of turned away from the Lord again. I was running from the Lord, like away from my call to ministry. And then in Kentucky, and yet God sometimes shows up in Kentucky. In Kentucky, I was there and God, God got a hold of my heart and I, and I said, I'm going back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into ministry. I'm gonna do what God called me. And there was a high. And I can go through my life and I can identify these, these high points and see his faithfulness. It was so cool about that. God has never ceased to chase me. Even in the times when I was running away from the Lord, God never ceased to run after me. This is what uh, Psalm 23 talks about. Your goodness and your mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's literally, they will chase me down. And God's grace and his mercy just chases, and it chased me down. And I can see my life. This is God pursuing me. And that day became another high point in my spiritual walk. And now literally, if I need to, I can go back to a physical place, but more importantly, a spiritual place and say, God, I'm coming back again. Where, where are you right now? Again, I'll say it, I'll say it a thousand times today. There is no neutral. You can't just float. You're either moving toward the Lord or you're moving away from the Lord. And if you're saying, you know, I'm kind of not moving toward the Lord, so I must be moving away, then return, come back to a place of spiritual. Do this, go out, map out your spiritual life, see what that will do for you. Let's come back to the Lord by, first of all, returning to the place of spiritual health. Then this, write this down as well. Respond to life with fruit. Respond to life with fruit. Let's go to the text and see this clearly there. This is again, Genesis 13. And this is a beautiful story. We see it happening in verse number four. He goes back to the Lord. And then we see something interesting happening in uh, really in verse number five. And Lot who went with him, uh, with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot. Okay, hold on a second. There was still strife. I mean, Abram just came back to the Lord. Shouldn't everything go smoothly and good and easy after that? We don't live in a fairy tale. There's no happily ever after. There is in heaven one day. Can I get a witness? I thought you'd be smidgen more excited about that than, than that. Amen. There we go. Heaven's coming. Praise the Lord for that. But here they had now difficulties, and they were both rich, and as the saying goes, mo money. Mo problems, and they're experiencing that, and there is strife between them. So yeah, the heat of life is still happening, but look at how Abram handles it in verse number eight. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Literally, we are, we are brothers and men. And there's a whole other thing to talk about there, but verse number nine, is it not the whole land before you Separate yourself from the me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Now, this is, this is crazy. Abram's the older. He had the right to choose. Abram's the leader. He had the right to pick. But instead of choosing for himself, he is gracious and kind. And he says to Lot, you choose where Lot had a me above all perspective, Abraham said, no, you before me. And that's love. 
That's what love looks like. Abram had kindness and love and patience and goodness. This is something familiar. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Read this with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'll take it from here. Against such there is no law. Do you want to know where you're, listen to me now. Do you want to know where, so you're like, I don't know, where's my heart right now? Where's my heart today? Is, is, am I for the Lord? Am I away from the Lord? Here's a test for you. Let me give you a quick diagnostic. How do you respond to the heat of life? When the heat of life is on you, what do you see coming out of you? There's an interesting little um, illustration that Jeremiah gives us in Jeremiah 17. I put on the screen for you. And this, this kind of illustration of plants, it's used all throughout Scripture, right? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, goes through all that, and it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, in his light he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water. Or uh, John 15, about being a part of the vine. This is seen all throughout Scripture, but here we see kind of a clear contrast between two different uh, plants. Here's the first. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who, what church? Look at this. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and cannot see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. There's, there's one way that we are sometimes. And the text goes on to reveal this. Blessed is the man who, church what? Trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes. Look, right, they're both in heat. They're both under the heat of life. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. By the way, the next verse, the heart is a thief above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? but it's a picture of two different plants under the same heat of life. And one is thorny, reacting with sinfulness. And the other is fruitful, patience, kindness. I don't know, where's my heart, Lord? How am I reacting? How am I responding to life? How'd you do this week? Did you have some heat? If not, it's coming this week. And are you reacting with, Lord, you got this. Lord, I trust you. And patience and love and kindness. Or are you responding with bitterness and anger and wrath and malice? What that shows you is where your heart really is. Turn to the place of spiritual health. Respond to life with fruit. And then let's end with this. Receive grace. Receive God's grace. 
This story is so cool how it ends. And I want you to see this with me as we take a look here in the story again. And uh, look at verse number 14. So now Abram and Lot are separated. And check what our God does. This is so cool. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. By the way, just, I, I just I wanna preach a whole little message about this, but I don't have time. But, but isn't it interesting how Lot lifted up his eyes in verse number 10? Lot lifted up his eyes. But who tells Abram to lift up his eyes? The Lord says, lift up your eyes. Right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Lot wasn't humble. He lifted up his own eyes and said, I want all that. Abraham lowered his eyes and was humble. And now God comes along and says, child, lift up your eyes. Beautiful correlation in scripture. But look at what it says. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise and walk the length and the breadth of the land that I will give you. That's a cool picture, by the way, of just like walking because you own it. It'd be like me walking into my neighbor's lawn and being like, hey, let's get these weeds picked up, shall we? Come on, put that dog away. I'm over here now, I own this. You can't do that because your neighbor owns it, but if you own it, you could do that. And Abram's walking through this land as if he owns it. Why? Because God, listen, God was still going to be faithful to his promise. Wait, wait, but didn't Abraham screw up? Didn't he mess it all up and go to Egypt and do his own thing and lie and sin? Yeah, he did. But God shows up and listen, not only gives him the promise, he expounds on the promise. Here's the comparison of Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, where both talk about the promise. This land, he says in verse number, in, in chapter 12, chapter 13, he says, in all the land, verse number, or in chapter 12, he says, I shall give to you. And then verse chapter 13, it's all that you see, I will give to you. And then in 12, it was your descendants. But now in 13, it's your descendants forever. And I'm gonna make your offspring the dust of the earth. He just expounds on the promise. Not only am I still gonna give you all that I promised even after you messed up, man, I got more coming. It's better than you even knew it was. Where Abram was unfaithful, our God remained faithful. And don't you do this? I can say I do it. When I screw up, I can be like, oh, I just screwed up. That's it. God's done with me now. Messed up big time. God can never use me. It was going to be great. God was gonna do great things with me, but I messed up and now I'm done. And we kind of tap out, we kind of give up. That's what Peter did. John 21, remember how Peter denied the Lord and how many times? Three times. And, and the text tells us, one of the gospels records that after he denied the Lord, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the Lord. And so we see this in John 21, that Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, what? I'm going fishing. It's what I know. It's what I'm good at. I'm just gonna go back to fishing. Was Jesus okay to leave him in that failure? 
know, he comes and he meets them on the beach and he makes breakfast for them. And there's this exchange between Jesus and Peter that's really interesting because Jesus asks over and over again, like here in 21:15, he says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The word he uses is agape. Do you have an unconditional love for me? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know I phileo you, which is another Greek word for love, and it literally means I'm fond of you. Why did Peter say that? Because he, if I really loved you, Lord, I never would have denied you. If I really loved you, I never would have turned my back on you, but I did. So what does the Lord do? Presses and presses, and finally you get this. And he said to the Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I agape you. You know I do. And then he says, feed my lambs. Get up and serve me. I got a ministry for you, Peter. I want to use you again. Get up. The best is yet to come. Your best days are yet ahead. And does he use Peter? Yeah, Pentecost and discipleship. We got two epistles from Peter. After this whole thing, I'm telling you, God still, here's my point to you this morning. There is no failure so great that God cannot forgive you. There is no mistake so bad that it will take you out of commission with God. We can always turn back to God. I want you to say that with me. We can always turn back to God, always. And not only does God have promises for us, he's got things that'll blow your mind. I had a leader in uh, my church in Elkhart um, before I came here, obviously, uh, that ended up uh, getting caught in pornography. He had struggled with pornography. And um, the good news for me was that it wasn't like a, a massive issue. He just, he fell a couple of times. And so I met with him. I met with his wife. I was counseling them. And, and it, was, it was hard for sure. But what made it really, really hard is the fact that he refused God's grace. I mean, it kind of, I guess, looked like humility. I, I know I screwed up. That's it. I screwed up. As, as horrible pastor, I screwed up and that's it. You know, God's done with me, that's it. And I'm like, no, you did screw up, but God still forgives. God still forgives. No, 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 you don't understand. I really screwed up. And, and that looks like humility. Do you know that's not humility at all? It's pride. I'm better than this. I'm better than this. Well, you're not. But God is. And his grace is sufficient, and his grace covers. So when you fail, and you come back, and God will show you passages that will just blow your mind about his grace. Like the whole thing that Adam shared today in the worship set about after the Ten Commandments, and then God, what does God want to remind them about? Like Moses got mad, you stupid people, and then God says, no, 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 listen, I'm a God of steadfast love, Moses. I'm a God of steadfast love to generations and generations and generations. And he's a stead God of steadfast love to you. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you can come back to the Lord, turn back to him. So where are you in this process? There is no middle ground. 
There is no neutral with the Lord. You're either moving to him or you're moving from him. And I wanna say, wherever you are today, it is time to turn and to go back. Let's get rid of our self-centered perspective and get a God-centered perspective and an other-centered perspective. Let's stop positioning ourselves with foolishness and put up guardrails and put up the barriers we need to protect ourselves from sin. Let's return to the Lord, remember his grace and receive his grace and humility and see what he will do with you. Let's pray together. God, I just wanna pray that right now and I wanna pray for the people in this room and for those who might be listening elsewhere. I just don't know where they are with you. I just wanna thank you for being a God of crazy grace. I've needed this truth more often than I want to admit. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for always being there when I come back to you. Thank you for using someone who certainly does not deserve to be used. But I pray for just our church, God. I pray that if there's any that would be finding themselves this morning, reacting to life in sinful ways, that they would return to you. Lord, I pray that you would break down the barriers, help soften the heart. And then, Lord, as we do, help us just to bathe in your grace. And we'll receive all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.